Good evening. John chapter 14 tonight. And how appropriate in so many ways that we sang that song because I can't help but think about the fact that out of all of Jesus' disciples, it was John that was the one that leaned against the chest of Jesus, hearing his heartbeat, if you will, during the Last Supper. John chapter 14. I was telling Nicole earlier this week that when I got back from vacation and I listened to her two messages from two and three weeks ago, I said to her, I think God wants to get a message across to us because I said she was talking in those messages about uh, God's presence being with us and, and God's promises being true and reliable and trustworthy and how Jesus had even told his disciples when she was uh, talking about the uh, message on Lazarus, had told them that he was going away and he was going to die and all that and they just didn't get it. Well, all three of those themes are going to be repeated in the passage tonight in John chapter 14. Please follow along as I read just the first six verses of John chapter 14 as we explore this passage that really teaches that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And last week we started a nine-week series on prophecy, looking at different passages in the New Testament that basically weave either the, the teaching on the rapture of the church, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and uh, information about heaven. Sometimes they're separated, sometimes they're sort of all together. Uh, this is one of those instances where the coming of the Lord and some things about heaven are sort of woven together in the same passage. So please follow along as I read the first six verses of John's Gospel, chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be distressed, Jesus says to his disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. There are many dwelling places in my Father's house. Otherwise, I would have told you because I'm going away to make ready a place for you. And if I go and make ready a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may be too. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. First of all, you will note that Jesus, in a sense, is starting out this passage as a spiritual cardiologist. He knows that there's something wrong with his disciples' hearts. And in this passage, what we're going to see are four things. We're going to see peace, we're going to see a place, we're going to see a promise, and then we're going to see a provision. Now, as Jesus begins to talk about the peace that can come when we place our faith in him, there is obviously reasons why the disciples' hearts are distressed. Again, God, Jesus, has been telling them for many days now, he's going away. And that they cannot come with him now. You see this in verse 33 of chapter 13. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now I tell you the same. Of course, Peter says in verse 30, where are you going? Where I'm going, Jesus says, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. That troubled the disciples. 
they were like, how can we get by if you leave, right? But there were other reasons why their hearts were distressed. Jesus also told them before this, these words that we read tonight that one of them, one of the 12, was going to deny him and another one of the 12 was going to betray him. Obviously, then, their hearts were stirred. It, they were agitated. They, they were troubled about the things that Jesus said. I want to point out, even at the very beginning of this passage, a very important principle for all of us. And that is that we need to remember that God never changes even when our circumstances change. Because that's really what's happening here. Jesus is basically telling the disciples, the circumstances of your life as you know it now is going to change, and they just lost it. They got all anxious and worried and concerned because their circumstances were changing. And throughout this passage, what Jesus is going to say is, your circumstances will always change throughout your life in some way, form, or another. But I never change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that they could count on when he was physically with them is the same Jesus that they could count on when he was going to go back to the Father in heaven. Nothing was really going to change as far as, you know, the help and, and the resources and the support. In fact, Jesus went on to tell them, guess what, guys? Because I go to my Father, you're actually going to be better off. You're going to be able to do even greater things because I go to my Father, because then I'm going to be at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit not only to be with you, but to be in you. And you're going to be empowered and enabled like never before. And we see that on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and the church was birthed. How the presence and power of the Holy Spirit just transformed God's followers. You see, maybe even tonight, you are either going through some circumstantial changes in your life or maybe you see them coming or whatever and, and you don't know what the future holds and all of that. Then again, this is a great message for all of us because it reminds us that throughout the seasons of our life, circumstances will always change, but God never changes. God can always be counted on. God can always be relied and depended upon, and so can his word, and so can the promises that he has given us. He never changes. He's that rock that we can always count on in the midst of all the change that's going on around us or in us or, you know, through us. Some of it may be our own doing, some of it not, but no matter what circumstances change in our life, God never changes. That's why then he says to them, do not let your hearts be distressed. You see, why is it so important? Because the heart is not just this physical organ inside of us that pumps blood throughout our body and keeps us alive. From a biblical perspective, the heart is the very wellspring of our life. Everything flows out of our heart. Our desires, our, our dreams, our, our emotions, our feelings, uh, our, uh, all, all of it our wishes, everything flows out of our heart, which is why the Bible teaches us that, 
that we need to make sure that our heart is in a good place and always stays aligned with God's heart. He hates to see his children unnecessarily troubled and stressed and agitated and and worrying and all of that when we don't need to be because simply we're not putting our faith and, and trust and fully resting in him, which is why he goes on to say, if you believe in God, then believe also in me. That's a huge statement because what Jesus is really saying is, I'm God too. And, and if you trust in God, if you have confidence in God, if, if you have come to a place where you are persuaded to, to have conviction that God is who he said he was, then guess what? That same conviction can be placed in me. That same trust can be placed in me. That same belief can be placed in me. Have a faith that is anchored in Jesus Christ. Because there is no greater anchor. And let me say this too about anchors and all of that. The worth of an anchor is proven by the stress of the storm. How strong our anchor is, and we talked about the storms on Sunday, is going to be proven in the storms. And what Jesus is saying is, if you anchor your life into me, no matter what storms come, you're going to stand. You're going to stand. Because I'm your rock. And you can always count and rely on me. Is our faith anchored in Jesus? Because that's where our peace that passes all understanding is going to come from, even when the circumstances of our life changes, and they will. We cannot prevent circumstances from changing in our life. Life, basically, that's what it is. I mean, even the process of growing old and and, and going through all of that, I mean, we never stay the same. Life is never static. And Jesus is saying through every season of life, through every circumstance of life, trust me. And that's what he was calling upon his disciples to do here. Now, remember, this is a prophecy series, and we primarily want to zero in on what Jesus was talking about when it had to do with his coming and some things about heaven. So let's look at verse 2, where Jesus then begins to talk to them not just about a peace that they can have in and through him, but a place as well. He says, there are many dwelling places in my father's house. Let me stop there because there's so much good stuff here in this passage. When he says dwelling places, he's talking about permanent, permanent, that's important, personal spaces within the family residence, if you will. That's what we call the Father's house. So a couple things there. Jesus is teaching us that God always understood that there would be family. We were built to be part of a family. And and even more than a physical family, Jesus is teaching us that we were built to be part of a spiritual family. Because even Jesus said, you know what? We've got to keep our physical families in perspective. Remember the day that they came and 
And Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters came, and they were like, oh, your mom and your, your brothers and sisters are here. And he said, my brothers and sisters are the ones that do the will of my father. In other words, physical families aren't the end-all, be-all. Because we won't always maybe spend all of eternity with our physical family, but we will spend eternity with our spiritual family. And Jesus even told his followers in another place, if your physical family turns their back on you and forsakes you because of your belief in me, I'm going to give you other moms and dads and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles in the family of God. We were always built to be part of the family and in heaven, it is described even by Jesus himself as the Father's house. Because we're his children, and he's got a place for his family there. So there's that, but there's also the idea that God also knew how important it was that we not just be part of something bigger than ourselves and part of a family, but that we always have our own space to, to call our own. And that's exactly what heaven's going to be too because Jesus goes on to say this. He says, otherwise, if it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, Jesus is already sort of foreshadowing what he's going to say in verse 6 about I'm the truth. And the only thing that's going to come out of my mouth is the truth. I, in fact, I'm truth personified here. And, and I'm not going to deal in illusion or make believe or what could be. I'm going to tell you what's real. And if this was not real that I'm about to tell you, then I wouldn't be telling you this. This is the real deal, and you can count on it, because I'm the truth. Because I'm going away, I'm going away for this purpose, to make ready a place for you. Oh, my goodness. Think about it. Jesus Christ is saying, when I went back to heaven... I began to make all the necessary preparations to design, basically be the architect, and also the builder of your permanent personal space in the family residence in heaven. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus took the time to be very detailed in the design and build of this personal space that will be ours one day, either through our own death or through him coming to get us. And that the way he designed it and how he designed it was very specific and very unique and very personal for us. In fact, I think when you and I get to heaven, one of the things that's going to blow our minds besides the fact that we're going to see Jesus face to face is to see the personal space that Jesus himself designed and built for each of us. That the detail of it and, and how it fits us, because here's the deal, he created us. He knows us even better than we know ourselves. He knows what will bring joy and, and delight to us even more than maybe we do sometimes. And the things that he has placed there, the things that he has put there, maybe the colors and, and the way it was designed and all of that, he knows it's going to be something that's going to bring joy and delight to us, not just for a time, but throughout eternity. And he did that for us, you see. He didn't just go back up to heaven and kick up his feet and, you know, uh, sit around in the heavenly lazy boy chair up there. 
No, he says, I'm going back, disciples, and guess what? I'm going to work for you. I did my work here on earth by dying on the cross and fulfilling the Father's mission for me, but then I'm going back and I'm going to continue to work. I'm going to make a permanent personal space for each of you, and I'm going to make all the necessary preparations. Unbelievable. That's what heaven is. That's why this is one of the passages that I use when I preach someone's funeral or memorial service. I'm like, they're getting to enjoy their personal space. Because Jesus said, if it wasn't true, I would have told you. This is real. It's as real as the chairs you're sitting in tonight, this personal space that Jesus has designed and built for each of us. A place. Now again, Jesus says, it's in the family residence. And there's going to be community and relationships and interaction with, obviously, Christians from the beginning of time throughout eternity. And we're going to have social interaction with each other like never before. In fact, it's going to be better than it ever could be here on earth because there's not going to be any sin. So our relationships are even going to be way better than they could ever be here. But there's also going to be that personal touch that Jesus gives to each of us. And this is what he's saying to the disciples. It's not a bad thing that I'm going away. Don't let your hearts be distressed. I'm going away to make a place for you because one day you're going to have to go through death just like I'm going to have to go through. And Jesus is saying, but when you die, you're going to enter into this place that I've prepared for you. And I want you to know that that's what awaits you on the other side of death or when I come to get you if you don't die, if you're in that generation that does not die. So Jesus says in verse 3, And if I go and make ready a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me. Now, a couple things. Throughout the years, One of the questions I get asked a lot as far as theology is, Pastor Jeff, are you one of those that believes in the once saved, always saved type of thing? I don't like that phrase. I don't think that's a biblical phrase. But if you're asking me if I believe that those who are truly saved will one day be in heaven, I do. And I don't believe anywhere that the Bible teaches you can lose your salvation. And this is one of the passages that I would take people to to show them. You say, well, how does this passage teach that all true believers cannot lose their salvation? Let me ask you a question. Does not the Bible teach that God never wastes any time? God's never going to be involved or engaged in something that's a waste of time. God doesn't waste a second. So are you telling me that Jesus was promising these disciples of his that he was going to go and take all this time to prepare this personal space for them, but them them not to get there. Somehow they weren't going to ever enjoy what he prepared for them. Well, that would be a waste of time for Jesus. You're telling me that Jesus is going to go and he's going to prepare all these personal spaces and yet half the people aren't going to get there to ever enjoy it? No, that's craziness. If Jesus prepared the place, then he's going to make sure that we get there, you see. So that's one thing. Two, notice again the words, I will 
come again. Promise, 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 promise. There's peace, there's a place, and there's a promise. And Jesus promised his followers, I will come again. We either again believe that or we don't. And we believe that the teaching of the scriptures is that Jesus is going to return someday. In fact, he could return today if he wanted to. And he could take us to be with him, which is the next thing I want to talk about for a moment because this is incredible. Not only is it incredible when you begin to think about heaven, that heaven's not going to be a place of perfect community where we live together in a sense in the Father's house or in the family residence of heaven, but where each of us has our own permanent personal space that has been designed and built by Jesus himself. Notice Jesus didn't say, uh, I assign an angel to that. He doesn't say that. He said, I'm building this. I'm making it ready. I, I didn't give this assignment to the angels. I didn't entrust them with such an important task. Me, Jesus himself, I'm going to build your personal space. That even makes it special. I mean, it would be special if an angel built it, but Jesus himself built this for us. That makes it really special. But you know what else makes heaven really special? Is the fact that Jesus here is reminding his followers. Heaven is special because I want to have an intimate relationship with you there for all of eternity. For Jesus, that's what heaven's all about, and that's what heaven should be about to us. Notice what he says. So that where, the place where I am, you may be too. That's heaven. For Jesus, it isn't about all the things that sometimes we get caught up in and think about when we think about heaven. And, and, and I want to talk about this for a minute. Whatever we think the Bible teaches us about what heaven's going to be like, however we think heaven is described or however we visualize heaven in all of its beauty and all of its grandeur and all of its glory and perfection, all that, and all that's great. Do we not realize, though, that we could have all of that, but if Jesus isn't there, then it's really not heaven? Because what really makes heaven is the fact not all this beauty and grandeur and perfection, but that Jesus is there and that we are with him. Take Jesus out of heaven and heaven isn't heaven. And Jesus is saying, the whole reason I'm doing all that I'm doing is because I want to be with you and I want you to be where I am. I mean... Think about that. I don't even like being by myself at times or with myself at times. And here's the Lord of glory, the holy God of the universe who says, I want to spend the rest of eternity with you, Jeff. Uh, if that doesn't touch your heart, if that doesn't move you in some way, because every word that Jesus says there is all about intimacy. I want to be face to face with you for all of eternity. that where I am, you may be too. That's heaven. 
And let me also say this, and then I'm going to tie this into the rest of the passage tonight. Because Jesus is getting ready to talk, though, about how exclusive it is to get to heaven because he's the only way. He's the only way of access or approach to the Father. And again, that's obviously not politically correct, and that bothers a lot of people today when we as Christians teach that heaven can only be accessed through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But that's not me who said it. Jesus said it. But here's something I want us to consider. Let's, let's go with the liberal theological view that everybody at the end goes to heaven, no matter what. Based upon what we just talked about, you realize then that heaven would be hell to many people. Why? Because they don't want to be with Jesus. So now you're telling me that the people who don't want to be with Jesus now have to spend eternity with Jesus? That would be hell for them. That wouldn't be heaven. And then us who want to spend eternity with Jesus, it'd be hell for us too because we'd be up there with people that really don't want to be there. That's what makes that whole theology break down. And you say, you mean to tell me there are people that don't want to be with Jesus? Absolutely. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself in my Sunday sermon series. But go to Luke real quick. Back to Luke, and then we'll come back and finish up in John 14 tonight. In Luke chapter 8, there's a couple instances here that are just incredible. First of all, there's the demons, and obviously we would go, well, yeah, I understand why the demons don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, but look at the language here in Luke chapter 8, verse 28. This demon-possessed man approaches Jesus when he steps onto the soil of the Gerasenes, and when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, shouted with a loud voice, leave me alone, Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, do not torment me. In other words, to this demon... Being around Jesus is torture. Torture. You say, well, that's demons. That's not human beings. Go over to verse 37. After Jesus delivers the demon-possessed man, and the demon-possessed man is saved and rescued and healed, notice that all the people, verse 37, of the Gerasenes and the surrounding region, asked Jesus to leave them alone. Jesus, get out of here. We, we don't want you around. You see, that's why hell is God giving some people exactly what they want. They don't want Jesus. They don't want to follow him. They don't want to serve him. They don't want to worship him. And that's all heaven is going to be. So Jesus gives them what they want and gives us who love the Lord what we want. We want an eternity of being able to worship and follow and serve and learn from our Lord all throughout eternity because that's what heaven is. Heaven is being where Jesus is and being with Jesus. And that's why even our worship, even here on earth, is so important because it reminds us what really we should be all about, which is putting the Lord at the very center of everything we do. That's worship acknowledging his place, his rightful place, and bringing him in and saying, God, we want you here. Back to John 14. We've seen a peace 
that Jesus has talked about. We've seen a place that Jesus has talked about. We've seen the promise that Jesus gave. I will come again. Now look at the provision here. Verse 4, Jesus says, and you know. In other words, you are very well aware the way where I'm going. Now, again, this ties into what I said earlier about what Nicole had mentioned it in her message on Lazarus, how over and over again Jesus kept saying, I'm going away, I'm going to die, whatever. And how many times he said it, and yet it didn't get through their thick skulls, right? But this is a reminder to us. You and I can hear the truth, but if our heart isn't ready to receive it in faith, it doesn't click. That's why the heart is so important. It, faith is not a matter of education. It's a matter of the receptivity of our heart. That's what it's about. And that's why God, even in his word, even to, to folks like myself who teach his word, say, don't be afraid to repeat things over and over again. Because sometimes it takes a lot of time to say the same thing before it finally either clicks, the light bulb goes on, or it sinks in, or we're in a place where we're ready to hear it and receive it. Just like the disciples, because Jesus said, you know, I've told you all this over and over again. And of course, they're like, oh, we don't know. In fact, notice Thomas says, well, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Now, can I say something? I will say this about Thomas. I'll give Thomas his due in this. All the disciples really didn't understand, right? They, they were all thick at this point. At, le at least Thomas was one of the 12 that was the one who, who raised his hand in the, it, it, you know, and said, uh, I don't know, so I'm going to ask the question. Because a lot of times, isn't it true, you're in a classroom set, or you're in a, you're in a setting and, and nobody really knows the answer, but there's only one that maybe has the guts to raise their hand and ask the question. Well, that's Thomas. So we at least got to give him some credit here. None of them really, you know, had received the truth yet, but at least Thomas was going, well, I'll ask the question. And Jesus replied, one of the most famous verses in the New Testament, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is simply saying, Thomas, I'm going back to the Father, and I'm the only way to the Father. I'm the only way of access to the Father. I'm the only way of approach to the Father. So even after we're saved, the way you and I can approach God, even in prayer and, and, and worship and into his presence, is only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only because of what Jesus has done. We can never approach God on our own and in our own merit. It is only through the sacrifice of Christ that he opened up one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. He's the way. But he says, I'm also the truth. Again, speaking about the fact that I deal in reality. That's really what the word truth here in the original language means. It is, it is talking about something that is real compared to what is illusion. And we live in a world of illusion. Even though we live in the world today that talks a lot about reality TV, can I tell you, there's very little reality on TV. It's mostly just make-believe and what people want things to be like, but not what they really are. And Jesus is teaching his followers, you want reality? I'll give you reality. I'm reality. And what I'm a part of is reality. 
and, and, and me going back to heaven, heaven's real. It's a real place for prepared people because I'm preparing a place for those who are prepared ahead of time. And notice something else here too. Jesus didn't say you can make your preparations for heaven after you die. You and I need to be prepared to go there before we die. And then he says, and I'm also the life. And this isn't just the word bios. It speaks about, again, our heart pumping and giving us physical life so that we can live and, and move around and all that. This is a word that speaks about a superior life, the highest quality of life a human being can have on earth, a life that is more than enough. It is the same word that Jesus uses in John 10, 10 when he says, I have come that they might have life and have it what? More abundantly. This is, this is the life here. Jesus saying, you want real life? You want the highest, you want to experience the highest quality of life, a life superior to all other ways of living? Then it's got to be connected to me. Because he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, guess what? That statement can also be applied to every area of life. I wrote here in my Bible these words, all of life should be lived through Jesus. Why do I say that? Well, if you just go over for a moment to John 15, 5, notice what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, separate from me, disconnected from me, not through me, you can accomplish nothing. No fruitfulness. Cannot live the Christian life apart from Jesus Christ. The only way we can live the Christian life, the only way we can be fruitful, and we talked about that Sunday, how bearing fruit brings glory to God, is by staying connected, abiding, remaining in Christ. If we're not living through Christ, if we're not living our life through him, then we cannot live the Christian life and we cannot be fruitful. So even after being a Christian, becoming a Christian, I have to live all of life through Christ. And let me take it a step further. Whether you and I realize it or not, and especially those that don't believe in Jesus realize it or not, everything that they do in life is through Christ. Because guess what? They wouldn't be alive and their heart wouldn't be beating and they wouldn't be able to breathe their air into their lungs if Jesus wasn't sustaining them, if, if he wasn't enabling them to do it. You see, that's the crazy thing is that Really, none of us, no matter whether we believe in Jesus or we don't believe in Jesus, could do anything on this earth apart from Jesus Christ. He's the one that created us. He's the one that put us here. He's the one that strengthens us. He's the one that sustains us. He's the one that is the source of everything that we will ever need or ever want. And we either recognize it and worship him or we don't. But tonight, I hope that looking into this passage, not only about being reminded that Jesus himself gave us a personal promise that he would come again for us, for each of us, but that heaven, where we're eventually going, is really, the specialness of it is because we're going to be there with Jesus forever. And beyond that, that he loved us enough not just to die for us so that we could have this relationship eternally with him, but that he loved us enough 
to go back to heaven and create this wonderful, personal, permanent space just for you and I to enjoy for all of eternity. The next time you and I maybe doubt how much God cares and loves, how, how maybe God is not in the details of our life, oh, my friends, read John chapter 14 and be reminded that Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for the tremendous truth, the truth that we have worshiped to tonight, the truth that we have read from your word, the truth that we've experienced here, God, because you, Jesus, are the truth, and you are here tonight in this auditorium. And we, we sense your presence here with us, your people, tonight. You are here to remind us of who you are and how you love us, how you care for us, and that, Lord, we can trust you, we can believe in you, and even when the circumstances of our life changes, even if our life is turned upside down, we can stand upon you, our rock. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that each of us would leave here encouraged and even looking forward, God, to your coming again, looking forward to what awaits us, looking forward to that day where we're taken to heaven, that we don't want to die until our time on this earth is is, is finished, but God, we certainly don't dread death. Death is not something we fear because we realize that the moment we close our eyes in death or you come to get us, God, we're going to be with you, never separated again. We're going to be with our spiritual family for all of eternity. And we're going to be able to enjoy this very precious personal space that you yourself created for us and designed for each of us. God, thank you for loving us so very much. We don't deserve any of it, but God, out of your great love for us, you are willing to provide it all. Thank you, God, for being the way, the truth, and the life for us each and every day that we live. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.